Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys. How are you? Zach here, and you are on Sage Games Channel. If you're looking for NVIDIA with all the lore of Halo, all the details, all the events, all the characters, told in chronological order, then you found it. Everything that happens before the events of the games are compiled in this video. All the material to produce this content was collected from the games, books and series that are canonical. This first video is big, as it is the basis for all the rest of the games we are going to make. I don't even need to warn you that there are spoilers to give and sell in this video, right? This video was a lot of work and that's why I ask you to help by subscribing, to receive notifications and help our work, which is just beginning. Do you have any questions or want to talk about this incredible story? Comment below. I'll love answering and chatting. Without further ado, let's begin the epic Halo adventure. Our entire journey in this dense and twisting story begins with the precursors. It is believed that approximately 1 billion years ago, the galaxy was dominated by an alien race called the Precursors. These beings were extremely intelligent and had super advanced technology, capable of traveling from one point in the galaxy to another in seconds, and even controlling and accelerating the evolution of intelligent life. For hundreds of millions of years, they took care of all life in the Milky Way, colonizing different planets with different types of races, created by themselves. But over time, they began to worry about their own extinction, and began to study their own creations in order to choose a single race to carry the mantle of responsibility. Central to his belief was the mantle of responsibility. It was not just a duty, but a sacred commitment to protect and nurture life throughout the galaxy. The precursors saw themselves as guardians, but also as teachers, leading other races to wisdom and self-awareness. Among the races that inhabited all these planets, two showed promise, the forerunners from the planet Gibbled and the human beings from Erda Tyrene. Firstly, you must know that these human beings were not modern Homo sapiens, but rather previous evolutions, known as prehistorics. But don't think about cavemen and things like that, but intelligent and technological beings, not as much as the forerunners. Although humans had a few colonies on different planets, their origin came from the planet Erda Tyrene, now known as Earth. Forerunners are very similar to humans, except they had paler skin, were taller and their scara were black. It is not known for sure what they really looked like, as they used to wear combat armor all the time. They were essential, as each armor had its own ancilla, a very advanced artificial intelligence, which stored all types of data and gave answers and tips to the user, in addition to chatting with them. The forerunners were very intelligent and helpful, and separated their population into different grades, which were assigned when they reached maturity. 
Adolescent forerunners were called manipulars, during this phase, they received education and training, and had not yet undergone any mutations. Mutation was a fundamental ceremonial and biological process in the life of a forerunner. It was when an individual transitioned into adulthood and assumed their place in society. Mutation involved physical, mental, and sometimes spiritual changes, and was personalized to suit the individual's specific cast and role. Forerunners could undergo several mutations throughout their lives. Each mutation was a step towards a more advanced state of existence, allowing them to play more complex and challenging roles within their society. The final mutation was a profound and rare transformation, reserved for the highest members of forerunner society. It was an almost transcendental state, marking a forerunner as a being of exceptional knowledge and skill. Forerunner society was divided into several castes where each had a specific role, including engineer, servant warriors, life workers, miners, and builders. In ascending order, the degree considered lowest was that of engineer, being responsible for building and preserving structures and machines. Next come the servant warriors, who were military personnel and spaceship pilots. In third place were the life workers, who studied the entire biological part of the universe and carried out experiments with various forms of life. They even had their own planets for research. In second place we have the miners, who were responsible for obtaining raw materials for the builders. Last and most important we have the builders, they are considered the highest grade of forerunners, responsible for building the entire architecture of the race and colonizing planets. Originating on the planet of Gibbled, the forerunners were powerful beings who were able to cultivate different forms of life on different planets. With that, they started a gigantic empire, with more than 3 million planets colonized by themselves in the Milky Way. This empire was known as the Ecumene Empire. And to have some control over the evolution of technology on all these planets, they created a system of categories, where the level of advanced technology of a race was determined. There were eight levels, called tiers, which worked in ascending order, from least advanced to most advanced. The forerunners considered themselves tier 1, as they had the most advanced levels of technology and were able to colonize entire planets. They considered the tier 0, precursors, the only ones capable of creating intelligent life. Forerunner society valued order, structure, and the pursuit of knowledge. They were a civilization focused on science, technology, and exploration, but they also had a strong sense of duty and morality. Although the forerunners saw themselves as protectors of other species, their relationship with them was complex, ranging from benevolent guardians to authoritarian interveners. The precursor's decision to choose humans over forerunners to inherit the mantle of responsibility was a pivotal point in the history of the Halo universe. The precursors perceived in humans a greater capacity for empathy, understanding, and coexistence with other life forms, which are essential to fulfilling the mantle, while the forerunners showed tendencies to dominate other species rather than coexist peacefully with them. Despite their advanced technology and structured society, they have become arrogant and complacent, believing themselves to be the only ones worthy of the mantle. The trigger for the precursor's decision was a small slip, with a lot of irony, by the forerunners. They managed to blow up Gibbled, their home planet, during experiments aimed at absorbing the energy potential of stars. This decision by the precursors generated deep resentment in the forerunners, who saw themselves as the rightful heirs to the mantle. This caused the forerunners to rebel against their creators and almost completely decimate them. 
After being nearly wiped out by the forerunners, a small group of precursors survived and were desperate to escape complete annihilation. Pathkathona, a satellite galaxy of the Milky Way, was chosen by the precursors as a refuge. Some precursors decided to transform themselves into a form of fine powder, a means of preserving themselves, to reconstitute themselves in the future. However, over millions of years and for reasons previously unknown, this powder became defective and corrupted, failing to reconstitute the precursors and inducing madness and mutations in beings that came into contact with it. This new form would later be known as the Flood, an unintentionally corrupt form of the precursors generated from the grudge and pain caused by the forerunners. Over time, millions of years, reports of what happened were distorted. The genocide was eventually forgotten or turned into myth and legend, with the forerunners seeing themselves as the rightful heirs to the mantle of responsibility. After some time, the forerunners discovered a kind of collective intelligence that was created by the precursors. The domain, also called Organon, was widely used by the forerunners' culture as a means of meditation, research and learning, judgments and political decisions. Only adult forerunners were able to access such a source of wisdom through their armor. Forerunner artificial intelligences were also capable of accessing the domain. The domain was capable of storing forerunners' memories, being widely used in trials and investigations. When a forerunner entered the state of meditation through a cryptum, the domain was the one who provided wisdom and reflection to the meditator. Now we will explain what situation humans were in throughout this period and how they met the forerunners. At this time, humans had already established colonies on several planets, including Earth, called Erdotyrene, and other worlds such as Charum Hacker, a planet that had already been inhabited by precursors and which had several structures and constructions of them. Human society was organized, but less rigid compared to the caste structure of the forerunners, and there was a mix of cultures and peoples that reflected the diversity of the human worlds. Humans had an alliance with the Sanchayuam, indicating a society open to cooperation with other species and diplomacy. This harmonious relationship has been consolidated for almost 40,000 years. But everything changed when ancient humans found a ship adrift, in the far reaches of the galaxy, containing containers with a strange powder. This powder was actually the corrupted remains of the precursors. Humans began experimenting with the dust, unaware of its true nature. They applied the powder to domestic animals, such as the pharaoh, to make them more docile and affectionate. Initially, the results appeared beneficial. Over time, the pharaoh began to show alarming behavioral, physical changes and became more aggressive and carnivorous. The dust, now an agent of the flood, began to spread to other living beings, including humans making them something like zombies. Ancient humans, recognizing the severity of the threat, began efforts to combat the flood. They faced significant losses and growing despair as the infection spread uncontrollably. To contain the spread of the flood, humans took drastic measures, including destroying entire planets that had become infested. Faced with the threat of the flood and the loss of their worlds, humans began to seek out and conquer new planets, aggressively expanding into space which led to conflicts with other species, including the Sanchayuam and the Forerunners. The Forerunners viewed human expansion as a threat to the balance of the galaxy and a violation of the mantle of responsibility. War between humans and Forerunners began, initially sparked by the Forerunners' realization that humans were destabilizing the galaxy. Humans, in turn, were desperate to find new homes and resources in the face of the ongoing threat of the Flood. For some unexplained reason, the Flood retreated to remote corners of the galaxy, 
giving humans an unexpected feeling of victory. It would later become clear that it was just a flood strategy to attack at a new time after humans and forerunners had weakened. At the same time, a human exploratory group discovered a hidden stasis capsule and inside it, there was a being called Primordial. The humans transported the capsule and its captive to the human capital world of Charum Hacker, where they found a way to communicate with the being who claimed to be the last precursor. When human scientists questioned the captive about the nature of the flood, the primordial's response horrified the humans so deeply that many committed suicide. Despite their immense bravery and ferocity on the battlefield, the humans were already too weakened by having to fight on two battlefronts, against the flood and against the forerunners at the same time. At the end of the war, the Sanchayon who had already surrendered were exiled and kept in quarantine in their solar system on their home planet. For humans, fate was a little more cruel. The forerunners analyzed the possibility of extinguishing humans once and for all. However, upon seeing that there was a certain explanation for the acts committed by humans, the forerunners decided to reduce human intelligence and technology to tier 7, the lowest level on the scale created by the forerunners. Furthermore, Heias were implanted into the consciousness of humans with the hope of discovering a supposed cure to the flood. But this supposed immunity of some humans to the flood was actually just a tactic by the flood, to make the forerunners waste time trying to discover a cure. The Heias that I mentioned just now are a kind of genetic command that can be implemented in living organisms, that would make them follow them through instructions sent to the organism's subconscious. It is created from someone else's memories and personality. Activating a Heias depends on how it was programmed. It can activate at birth or when the Heias host visits a certain location or reaches a certain age. Over time, the memory that was implemented in the host begins to have its own consciousness and begins to talk to the host, becoming increasingly stronger and being able to even suppress the host's consciousness. Before we continue with the story, I would like to detail two characters who will be very important from now on. The Didact was a Promethean, a member of the warrior elite. He went through several mutations until he became the supreme military leader of the Forerunners. His real name at birth was Shadow of the Broken Star and he earned the nickname of Didactic from his students who found his teachings very rigid and demanding. He married the librarian who was a life modulator and they had several children. They all became warriors and lost their lives in the war against humans. He was in favor of the downgrade of knowledge and technology as he believed it to be the fairest. The librarian was a life modulator, the highest class among life workers. His birth name is First Light that weaves a beautiful song. Her nickname of librarian came from her teachers who said she was eager for knowledge. Initially she was in favor of eradicating with humans, but changed her mind after understanding the motivations. At first, many believed that the flood was something invented by humans to escape the forerunners' judgments and did not give much importance to the problem. Invading the galaxy by surprise, the Flood used non-military ships to contaminate the planet G617G1, taking all forerunners by surprise. After a few years of battles and invasions on different planets occurring all the time, the forerunner fleets were forced to use orbital weapons to bombard contaminated planets, trying to prevent the spread of contamination. After a long war that had lasted 300 years, the forerunner commanders saw that the Flood was truly something that could extinguish their civilization. New means of combat were created, such as detonating stars whose planetary system was contaminated, in addition to maintaining orbital bombardments and the use of reinforced armor by the servant warriors. 
The DID Act proposed building a significant number of shield worlds throughout the galaxy in order to monitor the galaxy for flood outbreaks and provide military support should they occur. This strategy involved the tactical features he used in the war with humanity. However, a faction of builders led by Master Builder Faber proposed building a series of superweapons to deal with the flood instead. The DID Act considered these weapons an affront to the mantle. Although the DID Act and his Prometheans allies managed to delay the construction of the Halo by several thousand years, the Master Builder was finally able to convince the Council to sanction his plans. The DID Act was forced to stop his ongoing construction of Shield Worlds, ordered to hand over all his records and submit to the authority of the Master Builder. He refused, was stripped of his power, and forced into exile as a result. Forced into a cryptum, he was forced into meditative hibernation in a ritual supervised by an associate of Horuspus. The Didax cryptum was placed by the librarian on Earth to hide it from the master builder and his allies and allow her to carry out her own plans which involved removing him from his exile. She implanted Hayes into the subconscious of newborn humans to find and care for the Didax cryptum and aid in its release. Meanwhile, the librarian created a contingency plan for life in the galaxy, the conservation measure, which would guarantee the repopulation of sentient beings in the event of a galaxy-wide halo activation. After the Didax exile, the librarian convinced the council to approve an expedition to Path Cathona, theorized as the origin of the parasite. Furthermore, the journey would serve the purpose of confirming a forerunner legend of a previous great expedition to the Path Cathona 10 million years earlier. On this expedition he found traces of the precursor civilization as well as ancient forerunner ships and buildings. After some more explorations he discovered an entire forerunner civilization with primitive technology, and after studies he discovered the whole truth about that place. The expedition that took them there 10 million years ago was to exterminate the remaining precursors, and the civilization that was there were those who refused to participate in the genocide, and were exiled there for all that time. The mission was considered a failure, as the librarian decided not to tell all the horror she discovered there. It would be a very hard blow to all forerunners to learn that they were not the true heirs of the mantle and that they were the killers of the forerunners. Thanks to great assimilations, the Flood managed to form a Gravemind, which makes it more dangerous and more difficult in combat. Upon seeing that the Flood began to use extremely high tactical and strategic levels, and that their countermeasures were only slowing down the enemy's advance, the Forerunners adopted the Medicant Bias Artificial Intelligence as a key piece to destroy the Gravemind. A Gravemind is like a kind of collective consciousness or central intelligence for the Flood, coordinating their movements and strategies. It is composed of the accumulation of masses of bodies and minds of various species consumed by the Flood, and has a highly advanced thinking and planning capacity. Among the characteristics of this being are collective memory, the ability to communicate via telepathy, including with other species, and total control of all forms of flood. To balance political tension within the Ecumene, it was decided that the forerunners would adopt the construction and use of the halo to attack the flood, and use the shield worlds as shelter for firing. When activated, the halo emits a devastating pulse of energy, capable of destroying all sentient life within an expansive radius of 25,000 light-years, reaching a galactic scale. This pulse not only exterminates living organisms, but also eradicates the biomass necessary for the flood to reproduce and survive, effectively depriving it of its vital resource. Now, the main mission was not to contain the advance, but to index as many species as possible and take them to the shield worlds to repopulate the galaxy after the halo shot. To create the halos, an even larger structure called the Ark was created. 
12 halos were created in total, 30,000 kilometers long and 400 kilometers wide each. After the Didac's exile, Farber obtained authorization to build another smaller arc and six more halo which, despite being smaller, 10,000 kilometers long, were able to move and position themselves more easily throughout the universe. The arc, being smaller in scale, became known as the Minor Arc or Unit Zero. Faber, tasked Medicant Bias with conducting the first test of a halo facility, Unit 07, near Charumhacker. The shot released the ancient being known as Primordial. The entity was captured and taken to the facility on Faber's orders. Since he did not trust the life workers scientists who first studied the creature, Faber soon assigned Medicant Bias to interrogate it. Over a thousand years later, the did act was discovered and revived by a young forerunner manipulator named Bornsteller, who was searching for precursor relics. He was influenced and guided by two humans, Shakas and Riser through the Hayas implanted by the librarian. After the revival they fled in a ship and the Didak set course for Charum Hacker, seeking to discover what happened in his absence. There he discovered that one of the halos had already been tested, eradicating all sentient life as well as precursor structures in the system. Visiting Charum Hacker stirred ancient memories in the humans that had been imprinted into their genetic material by the librarian, and in order to trigger more of these memories, they traveled to the system where the Sanchayuam, once allies of humanity, had been quarantined after their defeat by the Forerunners. Before arriving in the Sanchayuam home system, the Didact performed a patent mutation on the young manipulator to allow him access to the domain. With the mutation, the Didak transferred his imprint, containing his consciousness, along with all of his memories and knowledge to Bornsteller, though many of them did not awaken within the Manipular until later. However, the Didak's ship was intercepted and dismantled by the Master Builder's forces, who were present in the system, suppressing a rebellion. The Didak and the others were taken prisoner, and in subsequent interrogations, refused to divulge information about the Shield Worlds or the control codes for the Contender Class Ancillas. Although other forerunners, including the librarian, believed the Didact had been executed, the master builder left him, along with several other forerunners, to die confined in stasis bubbles on an abandoned ship within a system controlled by the Flood. Meanwhile, the imprint of the Didact's personality on Bornsteller's body controlled the Manipular, effectively making him a copy of the Didact. Due to the need for a military leader and the difficulty facing the Flood, Bornsteller assumed the position of Didact, since at that point he already had all of his memories and experiences. He came to be known as ISO Didact and the original as UR Didact. The plan to build Halo and Index all sentient life was coming to fruition when a severe blow struck. Medicant Bias, who had been assigned to interrogate the entity that called itself the last precursor, was corrupted and was convinced to help the Flood in their campaign. As a result, several forerunner fleets and naval battle tactics were easily overcome by the Flood. During the trial of the Master Builder for his recent actions and use of Halo indiscriminately without authorization from the Council, the artificial intelligence Medicant Bias launches an attack against the forerunner's capital. In this attack Medicant Bias managed to disable sentries, ships, launch large attacks through the Flood and also gather five Halo, including the one that was missing after the attack on Charum Hacker. The battle was intense with a halo fired with massive damage to the capital, but Medicant Bias was unable to control all the halo, and they entered a safe mode that would take them directly to the Ark through a portal. Things ended up not going well and only a single halo managed to reach its destination. Bornsteller, or ISO did act, also managed to pass through the portal and met his wife in the Ark. 
It is necessary to understand that at this stage in history, that despite some objections from council members, the ISO did act had assumed all the responsibilities of the original. Even his appearance was that of the original, and the librarian, thinking that the UR did act was dead, also accepted him as her husband. Several species had not yet been indexed and only one location became safe and accessible to the forerunners, the Zero Installation, or Minor Arc, which, in addition to building the halos, could house life. The indexed species were all taken to the Ark, along with some living specimens and, of course, several forerunners. The librarian personally went to Erditirene, Earth, to collect and index the human species and animals on the planet. Upon returning, he relocated most of the living human specimens to Installation 7 that orbited the Ark. Shaka's and Riser, the humans who helped revive UR Didact from the Cryptum, were on Halo 7, with their Hayas with consciousness in their mind. The Hayas of Shaka's was Fortencho, Lord of the Human Admirals, and of Riser was Iprin, the woman who discovered the last primordial in Charum Hacker. Medicant Bias manages to gather all the humans in this halo, removes all their Hayas and inserts them into monitors. Then ISO Didact appears, manages to deactivate Medicant Bias and sends Halo 07 through a portal straight to the Minor Arc. In this process the ISO Didact encounters the last primordial. He reveals himself to be a grave mind. He also reveals the entire origin of the Flood, and that the Forerunners are not the true heirs of the Mantle. After the conversation, the ISO Didact kills the Primordial by activating a temporal chamber, making time accelerate billions of years. The ISO Didact then exits the Halo and places the consciousness of Shaka's and other humans on a monitor, which would later be known as 343 Guilty Spark. Meanwhile in another part of the galaxy the UR Didact was released from his stasis bubble due to a power failure. Assessing his situation, the Didact soon discovered that he was aboard an operationally flawed hulk with no armor or weapons. He soon also realized that his ship was being taken by the Flood, but he decided to remain on the ship, determined to get answers, confident that even if he perished, his duplicate would continue his work. The Didact was confronted by the Great Mind and realized that it was the same intelligence as the Primordial, which he had encountered on Charum Hacker. The Gravemind invaded the Didact's mind and inflicted upon him undignified mental torment, in a process described by the Didact as more of a curse than a conversation. The Didact's sanity and morale were severely shaken by this encounter. However, Gravemind did not intend to kill or infect the Didact, turning the Forerunner's greatest warrior into an unwitting pawn to sow chaos in the remains of the Ecumene. Thus, the Gravemind released the Didact and left it aboard an empty spaceship, intentionally sending it to the ship where the Master Builder was. Reuniting with Faber, the Didact delivered him a heartbreaking message from the Gravemind, taunting the Master Builder with the suffering of his family, who had been absorbed into the Flood Collective. The Didact's privileges were later restored, although the ISO Didact remained in command of the Ecumene's army. Sidelined by much of the Ecumene, UR Didact returned to Requiem, where he continued his own mission against the onslaught of the Flood. Convinced that his old strategies were no longer viable now that the Gravemind had learned everything, he desperately began to invent new methods to combat the Flood. Failing to decipher the Flood's immunity through other means, including an experimental procedure that left him disfigured, he acquired a composer, a machine designed to rid the Flood of Forerunners by converting their essences to digital form, but abandoned due to the various functional defects. In complete agreement, UR Didact's fellow Prometheans pledged to be composites, relieving them of their biological form. The Didact did not undergo composer processing, as its new form was incompatible with the device. 
You are Didact then used the composer to make his Prometheans completely immune to flood infection by combining their composite essences with powerful war machines known as Promethean warriors. Although these new warriors scored an isolated victory against a flood-infested fleet, it soon became apparent that their numbers were too few to halt the parasites' continued advance, leading UR Didact to consider other options for expanding his army. For years after his return to the Ecumene, a meeting was organized between UR Didact, the Librarian, and ISO Didact. The meeting soon proved less than happy. UR Didact, with his perceptions and views distorted by his madness, began arguing with the Librarian and his own duplicate that the latter's actions and methods threatened the forerunners. UR Didact had deduced that the Flood had consciously favored humans, deliberately refusing to infect them 10,000 years earlier, and that they specifically targeted the forerunners as an act of revenge. By extension, he came to the conclusion that the Librarian's favor for humanity was a goal shared by the Flood, something he saw as a profound betrayal. UR Didact took off in a desolate region of Nondegro, near the planet's only precursor artifact, where he was soon joined by ISO Didact. In conversation, it became apparent that the two Didacts had diverged into very different individuals, with the original accusing ISO Didact of being a poor and flawed copy of himself. Before the confrontation turned physical, the flood was detected approaching the planet. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The two Didacts descended into orbit in their own ships as millions of flood fell upon Nondegro. As the ISO Didact and Librarian departed for the Greater Ark, now the Ecumene's last defense, the UR Didact followed in his personal ship. In the largest Ark, UR Didact remained on the station aboard his ship, not leaving it even to attend the emergency conference of the Forerunner commanders. He was visited briefly by the Librarian, who was more horrified by what her husband had become. As the Greater Ark fell under siege by the Flood, UR Didact expressed no desire to participate in its defense, rudely stating that he would go after he had finished his task. The UR Didact's plan was revealed during the ensuing chaos, when he took his ship supported by thousands of sentinels under his control, headed to Halo 7 and used the composer to harvest the facility's entire human population. Most of what remained of the human librarian specimens. The Librarian tried in vain to stop him, as his ship was easily diverted by the UR Didact. UR Didact returned to Requiem and implanted human essences into hundreds of thousands of Promethean warriors, reinforcing his mechanical army. In their maniacal scheme, the machines would eventually defeat the Flood, and the remnants of the Forerunners would unite under their leadership with Requiem, as the center of their power and capital of the new Ecumene Empire. Once the parasite was vanquished, the UR Didact would undertake a campaign to eradicate humanity and all other suspected species that would potentially threaten the loss of the mantle forerunners. The librarian, devastated by the loss of her humans, followed the UR Didact to Requiem with the intention of incarcerating him. At this point, only one of the Didact's faithful Promethean remained uncomposed, the Didact's former lover who now served as his chief lieutenant. Although he was at first apparently supportive of the UR Didact, his confidence was little more than a facade. 
She eventually agreed with the librarian that the Didact was no longer fit to lead the Prometheans and should be exiled to a cryptum. You are Didact, asleep in a sense of security within his greatest fortress, was then confronted by the librarian. After a brief discussion, the librarian incapacitated the Didact through force and placed him in a combat cryptum. Sealing the cryptum into Requiem's core, the librarian hoped that the UR Didact would spend his time meditating reflecting on his past wounds, and that the damage done to his mind by the Gravemind would be corrected with the aid of contact with the Domain. Eventually, once awakened, the Didact could help humanity ascend to be the new caretakers of the galaxy by educating them in the mantle, as well as guiding them to the Forerunner's technological achievements with the Janus Key, which indicated the location of all the Forerunner's relics in the galaxy. The Librarian sealed Requiem and took over the Promethean warriors stationed there, giving them orders to prevent the UR Didact from being awakened until the meditation was complete. Leaving Requiem, the Librarian headed to Earth, where she began construction of a portal that would lead to the Ark, in hopes that humans would find it in the future. ISO Didact ordered rescue ships to go to the planet, however, they were all destroyed by the Flood, which were led by Medic Anthias. Some monitors that contained human essences from the Human Forerunner War were also commanded by Medic Anthias. One of them, which contained the essence of the Lord of Admirals Fortencho, transmitted to the Librarian the message that the Halo Fire would destroy the Domain, as it was also the creation of the Precursors. This meant that billions of years of wisdom archived in the Domain would disappear and that the UR Didact, trapped in his cryptum, would spend eons in silence without being able to meditate with its help, a fact that would fuel his insanity. The Librarian sends a warning to the ISO Didact not to fire the Halo. Thinking it was a message from the Flood in an attempt to deceive and stop the Halo's shots, ISO Didact doesn't believe it and finally fires the shot, exterminating all life in the galaxy. The Librarian also died when the Halo were fired. Only a few Floods survive in research facilities. Furthermore, ISO Didact, with the help of another artificial intelligence, Offensive Bias, captures and reprograms Medic Ant Bias with a single purpose, repair. The survivors of the Halo shooting celebrate the beginning of a new era. The Forerunners send all survivors to their home planets, along with key ships that would repopulate the planets with the Index species. They realized that all the Precursor buildings were destroyed, despite this being predicted. The domain was also inaccessible, demonstrating that the message sent by the Librarian was true. After orchestrating the entire repopulation of the galaxy, the Forerunners gave humans the title of Reclaimers, giving full access to Forerunner technologies as well as recognizing that they were the heirs of the Mantle. This title of Reclaimer and recognition of humans as the heirs of the Mantle is the reason that only humans are able to activate the Halo during the games. The Forerunners, led by Iasodidact, went into exile, with the promise that they would not interfere with the fate of the galaxy again. Due to the firing of the Halo almost 100,000 years ago, the population of the Sanchayan was reduced, and they had forgotten the firing of the Halo, and even who the Forerunners really were. The Sanchayan found Forerunner artifacts on their home planet of Janjunker, and began treating them as divine beings, and a religion was created. About 1,100 years after this, the Sanchayan encountered a race called the Sangili, who also considered the Forerunners to be gods. A war began between the two races, as the Sanchayan believed they could study Forerunner technology, while the Sangili believed that tampering with sacred artifacts was heresy. The war lasted more than 100 years, and finally the Sangili surrendered to the Sanchayun. 
The Sangili were more numerous and more physically skilled, requiring around 10 Sanshayuam to stop a Sangili. In contrast, the Sanshayuam were more technologically developed, along with the power of a forerunner keyship that they had found and mastered, they led to victory. After a while, the Sangili learned about what the Sanshayuam called the Great Journey. The Sanshayan believed that the forerunners had activated the halos to become gods, and wanted to repeat the process. The Sangili believed this story, and so the two races signed a peace treaty and together formed the religious group of covenants. Thus, the Sanshayun would be the leaders of the group and would experiment with the discoveries of forerunner artifacts. The Sangili would be the warriors who would serve and protect the Sanshayun, in addition to using their technology. Furthermore, they created a city called the Holy City of the Covenants, which was a gigantic mushroom-shaped space station that housed tens of millions of Covenant members. Within the Covenants, each race had its specific name, for example, the Sanshayun being the prophets, and the Sangili being the elites. Hailing from the planet Sangilis, the Sangili are a species of fierce and proud Saurians. A race of great warriors, strong and agile, strategists and innovators. Because they are humanoid reptiles, they have leathery skin, as well as sharp nails and teeth. Its biggest difference is its mouth, which is separated into four jaws. They are tall, reaching two and a half meters in height and have a keen sense of smell. They lived for a long time, reaching 100 years or more, and appear to breathe oxygen, just like humans. As they are a military race, the Sangili are trained from childhood, and the more notable their attitudes in battle, the greater their merit. A Sangili must have killed at least thousands of enemies in battle to be considered a high-ranking soldier, and this system has also been implemented in the Covenant hierarchy. They are skilled with any type of weapon and especially in hand-to-hand -hand combat. They have a very strong sense of honor and show respect and admiration for skilled soldiers, whether they are allies or even enemies. Furthermore, they believed that the only honorable way to die was in battle. If a Sangili were captured or incapacitated, they would commit suicide to keep their honor intact. They also used their famous light swords, which required training to use. The most skilled swordsmen were respected by everyone in the race. As time passed, more species were added to the Covenant. Most of the time these races went to war with the Covenant, lost and had to submit. Let's talk about them now. The Ungoys are a species of semi-crouching bipedal beings that make up the Covenant. They are the species with the lowest hierarchical rank in the Covenant and are often mistreated by all of their superiors. The breaking point came after the Covenant Council refused to investigate an attempt to sterilize their species by the Kigyar, another Covenant species. Rising tensions with the Kigyar and neglect from the other Covenant races drove the Ungoys into rebellion. Although the rebellion was quickly suppressed by the Sangili, the Ungoys proved that they were not the cowards that everyone thought and that they could be fierce fighters when provoked. They were thus pardoned by the Sangili and joined the Covenant military ranks as armed foot soldiers. The Kigyar closely resemble both reptiles and birds, and are approximately 2 meters tall. Their teeth are super sharp and they are carnivorous, often eating enemies killed in battle or even devouring still-living prisoners of war. They are very agile and all their senses are very keen, from their aim to their hearing and smell. That's why most were rangers and snipers within the Covenant army. In battle, they are brave and skilled, and can cover great distances quickly. They are also famous for their plasma shields, which are essential in battle. The Jirilhani, or Brutes, are a race of carnivorous mammals measuring almost 3 meters tall, native to the planet Doisak. 
they are huge and extremely aggressive, and even stronger than the Sangili. They have this robust appearance because their home planet has twice the gravity of Earth. They prefer hand-to-hand -hand combat and are overwhelming when doing so. They have sharp teeth and use them in battle, consequently eating their enemies. In the midst of a fervent battle, a Jirilhani can fly into a rage and destroy everything and everyone in front of it. Although they are savages, they managed to develop space technologies in a short time, but their aggressive nature caused their leaders to conflict, which led to a civil war. This war caused the collapse of Jirilhani society, and even in their dismal state, they were recruited by the Covenant. Within the group, they quickly became high-ranking soldiers due to their battle skills and unquestioning obedience. To top it off, they have a great rivalry with the Sangili. Lekalo are small worm-like creatures that group together to increase their intelligence, strength, and abilities. Believe it or not, these worms are super intelligent, and when together, very powerful. After a war against the Covenant, they agreed to join the group and received heavy war equipment, such as super armor and a plasma cannon. Inside the armor, they unite and form a single being, which came to be called Mvilekalo, or Hunters. This was enough for them to be by far the most powerful infantry in the Covenant. They always travel in pairs and when their partner dies, they become angry, more or less like a Jirulhani. And finally we have the Yanmii, the last race absorbed by the Covenant. They are a race of ancient insectoids capable of flight, native to the planet of Palamuk. They are authoritarian and live in a hive, with queens, reproductive males, working females and males that do not reproduce. As you can see, they are almost the same as Earth insects, but approximately 2 meters tall. They warred with the Covenant when they discovered them, but the Sanchayun managed to calm them down and convince them that the Covenant had a noble path. Thus, the Yanmii became allies in the main mechanics of the Covenant ships. They only had a small rivalry with the Hiragok, the Covenant's main engineers. The Hiragok are biomechanical beings created by the Forerunners to help build the Halos. They are not natural, but they are not completely robots either. Somehow, the Forerunners created them and they have a life, feelings, and personality, but they act like simple robot helpers most of the time. Their greatest pleasure is fixing things, and after 100,000 years after the Halos were fired, the Covenants found them on one of the Didact's shield planets. They agreed to help the Covenants, assisting them in everything they could, outside of battle. The funny thing is that the Hiragok can be used as a bomb, as they explode when they are violently killed. The Covenants have been growing their empire over hundreds of years. Meanwhile, on Earth, around 2080, humans had already managed to colonize Mars and part of the Moon. This measure was taken because Earth was already overpopulated. Therefore, another place was needed not only to house humans, but also to obtain more resources, such as energy and minerals. Even so, the problem was not resolved, and then communist and fascist rebel groups began movements against UN-imposed space capitalism. This war, called the Interplanetary War, began in 2164 and ended in 2170, with the victory of the UN over the rebels. During the war, the UN united the nations of Earth into a single government, called the Unified Government of Earth, an imperative change in order to maintain peace and prosperity among the UN colonies. Along with it, the UNSC, United Nations Space Command, was created, a military space agency that was decisive in the war against the rebels. But even so, the overpopulation problem continued, and only 200 years after that, exactly in 2291, a solution was found. 
Engineers Wallace Fujikawa and Tobias Flemingshaw developed a propulsion engine that enables travel at the speed of light. The technology became known as the Shaw Fujikawa engine, also called sleep space drive. With this, humans were able to travel beyond the orbit of the sun, and by 2490, they had colonized more than 800 planets, including a planet called Reach, which became the UNSC's military center of operations. To colonize planets, humans used a process called terraforming, where everything on a planet, the soil, the climate, and the atmosphere, are altered to meet the needs of those who colonize it. It may take hundreds of years for the change to be completed, but it is worth it, as then humans could colonize any planet and live on them, without wearing helmets, as if they were on Earth. The colonized planets were divided between internal and external colonies. The internal colonies housed important people and members of Earth's unified government. The external ones housed normal people from Earth and mainly workers, who provided minerals and resources for both Earth and the internal colonies. But the outer colonies were dissatisfied with the policy of Earth's unified government and began to stage peaceful protests, but after years of failed or unanswered negotiations, they decided to appeal and begin using violence and even terrorist acts to claim their rights. As the years passed, the battle spread across space and soon became an outright war between the external colonies against the internal ones. Until, by order of the unified government of Earth, the UNSC entered the battle against the rebels. To combat them, the UNSC created the Orion Project, a risky project to create super-soldiers. The soldiers who agreed to participate in the project had their bodies and minds scientifically improved and also underwent more arduous training. They proved extremely efficient in battle, but suffered side effects when they started to get older or when they left a war, acquiring illnesses or psychological problems. Therefore, the Orion Project was closed. However, in 2511, Dr. Catherine Halsey decided to continue the Orion Project and renamed it the Spartan II Project. But their plans were kind of different. She wanted to create super-soldiers from children, so it would be possible to teach them about the art of war and obedience from a young age. Therefore, in 2517, 75 children were kidnapped to be forcibly enlisted in the project. All these children were six years old, both boys and girls. And to keep a low profile on these disappearances, the children were replaced by clones while they slept. That's right, when kidnapping a child, a clone was put in his place. But these clones, which were made hastily would end up dying early, of natural causes. All of these children were taken to reach and trained over years. Their names were replaced by code names. Each of them was trained by Petty Officer Franklin Mendez. During years and years of training, the Spartans were placed in situations that would push them to the limits of their abilities. His extremely harsh training was supplemented with a top-notch education that included classes in mathematics, science, history, writing, and military tactics. Even though Petty Officer Mendez's methods were harsh, even brutal, he always instilled discipline, honor, and respect among the Spartans. He taught them how to kill, but he also taught them the difference between right and wrong, as well as good and evil. Mendez coached the Spartans until 2525, where all the children turned 14 years old. It was in that year that they went through the same biological process as the Orion Project, where their physical and psychological health would improve. But this time, the process would be even more risky, killing at least 30 of the 75 Spartans in the process. In the end, there were only 33 soldiers left who passed the test without incident. Not all of the others died, but many suffered psychological deformities and were dismissed from the project. 
The result of the experiment went beyond Dr. Catherine Halsey's expectations. Spartans could do everything a human does three or four times better, if not more. They were approximately two meters tall and weighed more than 100 kilograms each. Many were running at an absurd speed of over 50 kilometers per hour, and under an intense battle, they could only appear like blur if seen through the eyes of a normal human. They could carry three times their own weight with a single hand and their senses became much more accurate. In a heightened state of stress, for example, they were able to think, react and see things as if everything around them was occurring at a slow pace. Slow motion, so to speak. Furthermore, they could even see in the dark. If that wasn't enough, special armor was also created, called Myelnir-powered assault armor, made by Dr. Halsey. I'll leave these armors and the process of creating them for a separate video because I want to delve deeper into the details and it's very interesting. When they were with them, everything I said improved a lot. Among all the Spartans who participated in the project, one of them has always stood out since childhood. His name, or rather his Spartan name, was John 117. Born on March 7, 2511 on the planet Eridanus II, John was a good boy, with a great intellectual and a lot of luck. When Dr. Halsey visited him to see his abilities, she noticed how he was stronger, more agile, and more determined than his school friends. Furthermore, he proved to be a good leader, always being ahead of his classmates. It was for these characteristics that he was chosen to participate in the Spartan II project, along with 74 other children of the same age. In Reach, John became acquainted with Kelly 087 and Samuel 034, his first group partners, who became his friends within the project. Throughout his training, John proved to be the best among the candidates and was named leader of the Blue Team, which initially consisted of him and his two faithful friends. Later, Petty Officer Mendez and Dr. Halsey recognized that John had great potential, and he was named leader of all Spartans in the Spartan II project. At age 14, John looked like he had the body of an 18-year-old Olympic athlete. That same year, he underwent the experiment that killed more than half of his companions. In the end, no casualties occurred and he recovered quickly. After all the surviving Spartans recovered, they were tested and sent on missions to combat rebels from the external colonies. Until then, this external and internal colony war was known as the insurrection. Now, pay close attention because all the stories will start to connect. Remember back when I talked about how the Sanchayun won the war against the Sangili? That they used a forerunner ship to defeat their enemies, and now allies? The first thing I didn't mention is that it was used as a power source for the Covenant's holy city. Inside it was what the Covenant knew as the Oracle, which was nothing more, nothing less, than a fragment of the Mendicant Bias Monitor, which was deactivated most of the time. In 2525, something happened that would trouble humans for the next 30 years. The Covenant were searching for forerunner artifacts until they found two strange symbols on the planet Harvest, which was colonized by humans. The funny thing is that, initially, there was a peaceful meeting between the planet's leaders and the leaders of the Covenant ship that landed there. But an Ongoy ended up killing some humans, and the first human versus Covenant conflict began. Humans ended up losing this war and the Covenant besieged and destroyed life on the planet Harvest through a method called glassing, where they kill all natural life on the planet, from the soil to the waters, using nuclear bombs. Upon returning to their masters, the Covenants say that in Harvest there were many forerunner artifacts, and even many symbols. The Covenant hierarchy spoke about this symbol to the Oracle, which was Medicant Bias, 
and asked why the symbol of recovery was present on a human planet. Suddenly, he reactivates completely and says that the symbol in question had been misinterpreted all this time, it did not mean recovery but rather reclaimers. Furthermore, those who used such a symbol would be its creators. After showing these messages, mendicant bias controls the ship and almost escapes with it, but the covenant leaders manage to stop it, and this causes a lot of damage to the capital. This revelation would completely shatter the covenant's belief that humans were the living remnants of the forerunners. Afraid of losing the power they had, the covenant hierarchy, formed by three San Shayuns, known as the prophets of truth, mercy and regret, declare a war of extermination of the human race. According to them, humans were a threat to the forerunner gods and especially to the covenant. It was there that a devastating war began that would last almost 30 years. Whenever they located a planet inhabited by humans, the covenant decimated them and destroyed the planet through glassing. Humans could only win battles against the covenant when they used total power, nuclear bombs, etc. To avoid a major uproar, the UNSC did not reveal the existence of the war to the humans on Earth and the internal colonies. The only way to achieve significant victories against the Covenant was through Project Spartan II. At the age of 14, the Spartans were assigned to an extremely important mission. The mission was to infiltrate a Covenant ship to plant a nuclear bomb and destroy it in order to prevent an imminent attack on an important human installation. Inside the ship, they engaged in intense combat with Covenant forces, facing fierce resistance. During the combat, Samuel's spacesuit was seriously damaged. Specifically, the damage was to the part that regulated the suit's pressure, making it impossible for it to survive in the vacuum of space. Samuel, realizing he could not return with the group due to the damage to his suit, made the decision to stay behind and ensure the bomb was armed and detonated, completing the mission. Samuel activated the bomb, ensuring the destruction of the Covenant ship but sacrificing his own life in the process. Samuel's death had a profound impact on John, reinforcing the brutal reality of war and the possibility of loss among the Spartans. It was one of the first great personal sacrifices he witnessed. 27 years after Samuel died, in 2552, John is summoned to rescue UNSC cadets on a planet called Circinius IV, where the Corbulo Academy of Military Science was located. The planet was attacked by the Covenant, who killed practically everyone. Cadet Thomas Lesky and his friends, the planet's only survivors, are rescued by John. This mission was notable because it was the first time that the Spartans, including John, utilized the energy shields on their Mjolnir suits, a newly integrated technology that significantly increased their combat capabilities. It is during this event that John becomes known as Master Chief, because he was promoted to Master Chief Petty Officer. This all takes place in the live-action series Halo Forward Unto Down. Initially, it was shown as a series, with five videos of 15 minutes each. And with that we close the video that provides the basis of the events before the Halo games. Here we cover books, series, and extra narratives within the games themselves. I hope you liked the content and that it was clear. If you liked it, don't forget to follow us to receive content similar to this. We will post the entire Halo saga, with all the games already released, as well as curiosities and other series very soon. Help our work, which is just beginning. As the next video of this series, we will bring the entire story of Halo Wars. Thanks for following us and see you in the next video.